Would you now bow with me and let's pray as we enter the Lord's word together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that just like we saw in this great story of Gideon, that your ways are not our ways, that your ways are higher than our ways, that what seems wise to a man is foolishness to you. Because, God, you are over and above, you are stronger and more powerful than we could possibly imagine. And so, God, I pray that you would increase our trust in you, our faith, that your way is the best way. And so, Lord, as we think now of Mrs. Harms, we don't know exactly what the the issue or situation is, but we do know that your will, your way, is the best way. And so we simply entrust her to you, Father. May your hand be upon her. Uh, We pray that you would give her peace, and we pray, Lord, that you you would do uh, with her as you see fit, Lord, in your perfect will. And so we pray for your healing according to your will in Jesus' name. Father, we also want to lift up those in this church family who have other concerns that have not been spoken here this morning. Lord, we each come with our own, our own uh, worries, our own anxieties, our own concerns for others. And so, Father, this morning we want to take a moment to lift up those in our families who have strayed from you, those who have chosen to follow their own way or the world's way rather than your way. And so we pray, God, that for each one of those situations, whether they're children or, or grandchildren, whether they're brothers or sisters or even parents, we pray, Lord, that your mercy would reach them, that your grace would find them, and that they would return to you. And so, Father, we pray that according to your mercy. And so now, Lord, as we come to your word this morning, I pray for a work of your Holy Spirit to... Lord, divide the thoughts, the, the false ideas that we have held on to. Lord, the things that we so often cling to as being something good, and yet according to your word, they are not. And I pray, Lord, that your word would bring clarity into our minds and hearts today. I pray that you would do your work in each one of us. Bless your word. Give me boldness to speak your word clearly as I should. May it be yours, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A university student was seen walking on campus one day with a large K printed on the front of his t-shirt, a capital K. He was walking around with this large K on his t-shirt and inevitably someone asked him, what does the K stand for? To which the, the student replied, the K stands for confused. The questioner replied, well, don't you know that you spell confused with a C, not a K? To which the student answered, You don't know just how confused I am. That about sums up the world we live in today. We live in a world that is confused with a capital K. People are confused about a wide variety of different things, from politics to religion to diet to which car should go next at the four-way stop in front of the post office. And if you're not sure, piece of advice, defer to those with silver hair. Just... Just saying. (laughs) I've learned from experience. Now that being said, confusion is something that it seems as though wherever you turn, people are confused and debating about which is the best path, which is the right way, what is right, what is wrong. You know, in issues of morality, we see confusion only increasing in our world today. 
If you've been paying any attention to the news this past week, you can't have missed one of the leading stories this week was in regards to the confusion of a man who is, by American standards, some bit of a celebrity. And this confusion, of course, is in regards to sexuality. This is something that goes far beyond whether someone is straight or gay, but it also extends to gender identity. Case in point was this man I was referring to, former U.S. Olympian and gold medal winner Bruce Jenner. Raise your hand if you heard a mention of his name this past week. Most of you have. And if you weren't sure and you just heard it in passing, you're going to learn a little bit more. Now, Bruce Jenner made the decision this past winter to undergo a sex change in order to go from male to female. So he, or she, as we are now told to refer to him as, he, or she, I'm going to be confused, but I'm going to say he, he had his new identity, his coming out party, if you will, revealed on the front, ca- on the front cover of Vanity Fair magazine with the large caption underneath, Call Me Caitlin. And he spelled it with a C, although I think it might be better spelled with a capital K. That being said, to be clear, I use this example not to pass judgment on Bruce Jenner. That's not my job. That's not my place. I use this example to demonstrate how confused people can become when they attempt to discover their identity in something other than who God has made them to be. I use this as an example to show the confusion that is reigning in our world when people try to find who they are in something other than in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, my prayer for Bruce Jenner is that he will yet come to find his true identity, not in a gender, but in who God has made him to be. And I pray that he embraces that fully. But now, people struggling with gender confusion is not something new. In fact, this is something that was even around in the Apostle Paul's time. What is new, however, at least for our culture and our time, is that now many people are looking at his decision and they're applauding this as something courageous and good and noble. And so we see in our culture today so many conflicting messages that it's no wonder why so many are confused as to what is right and wrong. And especially for the youngest generation who is growing up in this, in this millhouse of conflicting ideas and opinions, those of us who are already of an older generation, we're, we're set in our beliefs and our ways, and we look at these things and we say, what is our world coming to? But it's not going to change what we believe. But if your opinions are still being formed, your beliefs are still being shaped and molded, this clash of opinions and, and confusion in our culture is so hard to wade through. And so in this world we live in, the problem is that even we as Christians and those within the church find ourselves being confused right along with the world. So the question I ask this morning is, how can we, you and I, how can we find clarity in this capital K confused world, and in doing so help others to do the same? The first point for your consideration this morning is that we find clarity in discovering Jesus' true identity. Turn with me now, if you will, to Matthew chapter 16. And there we're going to look at a well-known account from verses 13 to 20. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. 
Notice the utter confusion in the world of his day as to who Jesus truly was. He asked his disciples a a simple question, who do people say that I am? And he had about four or five different answers. No one was quite sure. The only thing that people were agreed upon was that everyone had to admit that Jesus was someone special. The countless miracles that he had performed were simply undeniable. But the question remained, who was he really? You know, everyone could look at his lineage. He'd grown up in Nazareth. His his mother was Mary. His father was Joseph. He had brothers and sisters. But who was he really? Who was this man who could do miracles and teach with such authority? Many puzzled and wondered, was he the long-awaited Messiah that they believed would lead them to victory over their enemies and lead them to liberty from the Roman oppression? Or was he perhaps one of the prophets of old brought back to life? The confusion even went so far that some thought perhaps he was John the Baptist. Now stop and think about that for a minute. This is the most fantastic of all of the claims because John the Baptist is a contemporary of Jesus. In fact, John the Baptist had only been killed by King Herod a couple of years earlier. And so for them to actually speculate that this could be John the Baptist means that they believed in some form of reincarnation. And Matthew chapter 14, verses 1 to 2, shed some light on where this rumor came from. We read there, At that time Herod the Tetrarch heard the reports about Jesus, and he said to his attendants, This is John the Baptist. He has risen from the dead. That is why miraculous powers are at work in him. And so here we see this utter confusion and speculation just raging around who Jesus was. Who was this miracle-working rabbi? Even Jesus' own disciples weren't completely certain. They still had their own doubts and nagging questions. Who was this man they were following? Was he truly the Messiah, the Christ? And so Jesus, knowing their confusion, knowing their hearts, he's going to reveal to them his true identity, and he brings them to this region of the city called Caesarea Philippi. I'm going to ask Ray if you want to pull up the first slide for this. For us this morning. On our travels to Israel, we had the opportunity to visit the ruins of Caesarea Philippi. And so here at at Caesarea Philippi, Jesus has a context for this very important question he's about to ask his disciples, and the setting actually brings a lot of insight into the point he is trying to make. Now here we see a picture of us. We're standing in front of the springs which are being fed directly from Mount Hermon. Now, Mount Hermon is the highest peak in Israel. It's in the Golan Heights on the north end of the, of the country. And from there, this is the primary water source for the spring water that runs down to the Jordan River, which then feeds into the Sea of Galilee, which continues down south from the Jordan River, which is literally the lifeline, the only clean water source for the entire country. So here at the headwaters of the water source for the entire country we find this place, Caesarea Philippi. Now, the headwaters attracted a lot of people, and one of the types of groups that the headwaters attracted were those who were dedicated to religious and pagan practices. And so here, different pagan temples were built at the city, with the most important being the one dedicated to the Greek god Pan, who was depicted as a half-man, half-goat. So his upper half was... A man, his lower half was a goat. He was known as the 
the god of the shepherd and of the forest, and he would run around playing his little pipes and, and attracting people and doing all these kinds of things. So basically, anyone who was a shepherd or, or had a livelihood in livestock would pray to the god Pan to bless their flocks and herds. And so in a primar- primarily uh, shepherding nation, the god Pan was considered very important. So you can go to the next slide. And here we see what is now today the ruins of the Grotto of Pan. Now, inside this, this carved-out cavern, which is directly into the side of the cliff face, there once stood the, the statue of the god Pan carved in there, and people would come and they would bring their offerings and come and worship before the statue which stood in front of this grotto. But the most interesting feature of the place is the large cavern in the side of the cliff face from where the spring waters emerged, and this was known as the Gates of Hades. If you go to the next slide, we'll see a picture of the Gates of Hades. Now, what they would do is they would sacrifice an animal in the Grotto of Pan, the previous slide, on the the altar. They would sacrifice an animal there, and then they would take its carcass and they would hurl it into the Gates of Hades as an offering to Pan. Now, if the victim disappeared into the water and it just sank out of sight, this was a sign that the god had accepted their offering, that he was pleased by it, and that he would answer their prayers. If, however, there were signs of blood coming out of the nearby springs, the offering had been rejected. And their hope was that if Pan accepted the offering, he would bless the waters flowing out of the spring and give fertility to the land and to the livestock. Now, what's interesting as we consider this, this pagan ritual of, of looking for fertility, um, just in case you weren't clear, you can see the outline above the boulder there of the grotto of the previous picture, and that large cave is what was known as the Gates of Hades. Now, the, the interesting thing that our, our guide pointed out was that people in times of drought, well, of course, they wanted to have their prayers answered, And so sometimes they would have so many offerings thrown into the cavern, into the spring water, that the the creek and the water flowing down would actually run red with blood because they would throw in so many offerings trying to get Pan to hear their prayers. Now, the next picture gives us an overview of a a painter's uh, uh, reconstruction of what it would have looked like at the time of Jesus. Here, excavation has discovered that other gods were worshipped at this location as well. On the left-hand side of the picture is in front of the gates of Hades. That was the temple to the god Pan. There was other temples in the center to other gods. On the right-hand side, you sort of see a a half-amphitheater, and that was the cult dedicated to the dancing goats. So if if you're into dancing goats, that's where you would go. So... Actually, on the stage there is supposed to be a depiction of the dancing goats. I don't know if they were real goats or people dressed up in goat costumes, but whatever, there were dancing goats on the stage. So basically, what we're looking at here is in Jesus' day, this is one messed up and confusing sort of a place. You know, take your pick of of what you would find confusing in a place like this, But what people would often do, they wouldn't be sure which god or goddess was answering their prayer, and so they would hedge their bets, and they would give offerings to one and offerings to another, hoping that, well, this one didn't work last time, but if I throw a carcass into the cavern, maybe that'll work. And so people are confused, and they're seeking, and they're searching. So now here in this setting, this setting of of utter pagan idolatry, 
Jesus chooses to bring them to this place to ask them the most important question that anyone could ever be asked. Verse 15. After hearing the confusion, after hearing what everyone else is saying about him, he asks them, verse 15, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? In other words, have you been able to get past all of people's opinions about me? Have you been able to cut through all of the competing truth claims of pagan gods and other religions? Have you been able to pass through the fog of confusion to identify me for who I truly am? Do you believe that I am who I am claiming to be, or do you still need more convincing? Who do you say that I am? There's a story of a man setting out from Hamburg, Germany one day. And he was heading out to give a concert in London. And this man was famed violinist Fritz Kreisler. And it was an hour before his boat set sail, so he wandered into a music shop. And there the proprietor of the shop noticed the lovely violin that he was carrying, and he asked if he could take a look at it. The proprietor of the music shop then took the violin and vanished into the back of the store, and he soon returned with two policemen, one of whom told the famed violinist, you're under arrest. Well, what for, asked Chrysler. You have stolen Fritz Chrysler's violin. I am Fritz Chrysler. At this, they laughed in his face. They didn't believe him. You can't pull that on us. Come along to the station. While Chrysler's boat was sailing very soon, and there was no time for prolonged explanations, so Chrysler asked for one chance, one chance only, to prove to them that he was who he claimed to be so that they wouldn't have to take him down to the station. The request was granted. And so, taking his violin, he masterfully played a difficult piece that he was written that he was well known for. And as the last beautiful note faded away, Chrysler simply lowered his violin and asked the question, Now are you satisfied? They were. And he went on his way. In a similar way, Simon Peter had seen Jesus do the miraculous. He had personally witnessed Jesus do the impossible. He had seen the mute speak. He had seen the crippled made well. The lame walking and the blind seeing. He had seen Jesus multiply a few loaves and fishes into enough food to feed thousands of people. He had heard his powerful teaching, and now Peter is finally ready to answer Jesus' question. Verse 16, Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. My friends, once you discover Jesus' true identity... Life becomes crystal clear, and it begins to make sense. For Peter, there were many things that, that he didn't know. But at some point, perhaps even in this exact moment, God fully removed the blinders. He removed, he removed the blinders from his eyes, from his mind, from his heart, from his spirit, so that he could see Jesus for who he truly was, the Christ the Son of God. And you see, Jesus asked the same question of each one of us. 
Who do you say that I am? And the revelation, the personal aspect of this answer is something that I can't persuade you of. No one else can persuade you of it. Only God can remove the blinders from your mind, from your heart, from your spirit, so that you can truly say like Peter, I know who you are, Jesus. You are the Christ. You are the Son of God. You are my Savior and my Lord. This is something that has to come personally for each one of us. And so Jesus asks, who do you say that I am? Not who is Jesus to your pastor, Not, who am I to your parents, to your spouse, or to your friends? Who am I to you? Am I the Son of God, your Savior and friend, the one who died so that you could live? Am I your Lord and Master, the one to whom you have given complete control of your life? My friends, if you want this life to make sense, discover Jesus' true identity for yourself. Discover the one who loves you more then you could love yourself. Discover the one who is literally intimately concerned with every aspect of your life, every detail. He even said that I know the number of hairs on your head. I I know every thought before you're going to think it. I am intimately concerned with every detail of your life. Discover him, the one who will help you through the darkest valleys that life can throw your way, the one who gives your life meaning and fulfillment. Discover his identity, and you will begin to find clarity in this confused world. Secondly, we find clarity by discovering our true identity in him. You see, once you identify Jesus, Jesus will next identify you. Not who you think you are, but who you truly are, who he has made you to be. This is exactly what he does for Peter. Now, notice in his reply in verse 17, Jesus had first said to him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. He refers to him by his old name, his old identity, Simon, son of Jonah. His old occupation tied to being the son of his father, the fisherman, Simon, son of Jonah. But now look at what he says to him in verse 18. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now what's interesting is that Jesus contrasts Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, his old name, with a new identity. And he uses a play on words here. Peter's name comes from the Greek word petros. Petros meaning stone. Now a stone is something that is easily moved. It's something unstable. It can be picked up and taken from one location to another. Sounds like a good description of Peter's life, doesn't it? Always starting out brash and bold, but in the end, failing miserably, right? He's the guy who's like, I'm going to walk to you on the water, Jesus, and then he's sinking under the waves. He's the guy who said, I'll never deny you, Jesus, and then a servant girl says, hey, you're one of them. He's like, yeah, I never knew the guy. This is who we're talking about, someone unstable, A pebble, a stone, easily moved. Not a very firm foundation for Christ's church. Right? So what is he saying here? Am I going to build my my foundation of my church on something as, as shifting and as unstable as Peter? The movable stone? But then look at this. The next line Jesus says, And upon this rock I will build my church. Here the Greek word for rock that is used is... Does anyone know? 
Petra. Petra means rock. Any of you who grew up in the 80s with the first Christian rock band, Petra. Does anyone know who I'm talking about? Petra means rock. And so here we have this this literal um, object lesson before us. A stone, a pebble versus a rock. Something fixed and immovable. If you go to the next slide, one of the other places we got to visit was actually the place known as Petra. And here we have this, this picture of this amazing place called the Treasury, which is literally carved out of solid rock, and it's over 2,000 years old, and it's still standing to this very day. This is something permanent, not easily moved or shaken, is it? It's still standing. It stood the test of time. And so what Jesus is saying is, I'm going to take something as, as shaking and, and temporary as a guy like Peter, and I am going to do something so powerful through my identity, my, his new identity in me, that it's going to stand the test of time, that the gates of hell itself will not be able to shake or destroy what I am going to establish. And so here we see what he is doing through Peter. And so here we see that the rock upon which Jesus would build his church was not the old Simon, the old movable Peter. It was built upon Peter's declaration of who Jesus is to him and who he will be forever the Christ. And elsewhere in scripture, in scripture, we see that Jesus is called the rock of our salvation. He is called the foundation and the chief cornerstone. And so now through Peter's declaration of faith in who Jesus truly is, Peter, the movable stone, becomes firmly grounded upon Jesus, the unshakable rock and the cornerstone of all who believe. And so in a very real sense, when Peter declared Jesus' true identity, Jesus gave Peter a new identity. Colossians 3 verse 3 says, For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life has gone, the new life has come. Old is gone, old identity, old Simon son of Jonah is gone. A new identity has come on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you today, Are you confused about who you really are? Are you wondering what your true identity is? Are you wondering what the point of your life is? What are you supposed to accomplish in the years you've been given? Are you confused by the pain that you've experienced along the way? Maybe you're here today confused as to what your role is in God's kingdom in building up His church. Let me encourage you today. Build your life upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. Learn his identity fully for yourself, and he will reveal your identity to you. And so in this, build your life on the firm foundation, and he will show you what your place is, what your role is in his kingdom, and in building up his church. Identify Christ, and Christ will identify you. Thirdly, we find clarity in embracing God's plan for our life. Now, do you remember what the backdrop was for Jesus' words and his declaration? You can go to the next slide to remind you. This is the backdrop. The gates of Hades. Now, Jesus was one who was always quick to use an object lesson to make his point clear. And Jesus uses the literal gates of Hades, located here at Caesarea Philippi, as the visual backdrop for this statement. I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, Hades represents death. 
and gates represent the strength of a city wall. And so when you're measuring the strength of something, you would often refer to it by its gates. And so Jesus is saying the gates, or the power of death, the power of hell itself, the grave, the power of it will not overcome what I am going to do, what I am going to build. And so we, we see in this a fantastic claim. And who among us would be so bold as to declare that death could not defeat our plans? You know, we could have some grand ambitions for our lives, but we don't even know if we're going to have the time to complete it. We don't know if our death could come tomorrow or the next day. Tragedy strikes, as we're reminded, often. And so when we say that we've got grand plans or designs for our life, we're making a claim that we actually can't make. And so when Jesus says that the power of death itself will not defeat what I am going to establish, what I am going to build, that's a big claim. Did he live up to that claim? Well, let's look at the evidence. Jesus fulfilled that claim perfectly by dying on the cross, going into the grave and death itself, charging the gates of Hades, and then defeating it by rising from the dead to destroy its power forever. And that all-encompassing act also defeated the power of sin and Satan and all of the capital K confusion in the world. And guess what? we can share in his victory. His victory was not only for himself, it was primarily for us. He won the victory so that we could be free from death, that we could be forever free from its sting and live in his victory. John 16, verse 33, Jesus said, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. These are the words that each one of us needs to embrace for ourselves today. Everywhere we look in our country, everywhere we look in our culture, whether it's in Canada, the United States, or in Europe, it seems as though the enemy is advancing and the church is in retreat. Everywhere we look, the surveys say the same thing. The church is in decline. Membership is dropping. Churches are closing their doors. It seems as though the gates of Hades are too strong. It seems as though he's he's too powerful. We can't win. What can we do? It might feel like in your personal life, you feel powerless to help yourself, let alone help anyone else. But let me be emphatic and clear with you today. This is a lie straight from the pit of hell. God's word declares, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so if we as the church feel like we're on the back foot and we're retreating and nothing's going to change that, so we better just hunker down and hide away because the enemy is too strong, that is a lie. And if you feel like your life is powerless and you're being defeated and, and you're just giving into temptation and you're just going with the flow at every, at every turn and you think, I'm powerless to fight it, that is a lie. In Christ, in His power, in your new identity in Him, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Do you believe that? Do you embrace that for yourself today? You don't have to remain defeated. You don't have to be in full retreat at every turn. You can go on the offensive by the power of God, the sword of the Spirit. Put on the armor of God. Embrace your identity in Christ and fight the good fight of faith. It's time for the church of Christ to rise up, my friends. It's not time for us to look at the confusion of the world and say, let's get into our bomb shelters and hide away. No, it's time for us to get bold, to stand up and be counted. I am not ashamed of the power of Christ. 
for is the power unto salvation for them who believe. My friends, it is time to be bold, to be empowered by the Spirit, to put on the armor of God and fight the fight of faith. And this is what Jesus is calling Peter to. He's calling his disciples to. And in that moment of clarity, Peter finds his identity in Christ. Jesus speaks the prophetic word into his future. And you know what? Through Peter, he became the foundation of the church on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit of God came upon him. And he preached that sermon. 3,000 came to believe. And it was the platform, the jumping off point of what we stand in the legacy of today. Peter, the, the shakable, movable stone through Christ became the rock and the first leader of the church of which we are the recipients of today. And so let me ask you, what is God asking you to do today that you're afraid to do? What is there in your life that's holding you back from going on the offensive? From, from just being in full retreat to saying, no, I'm going to step up in my new identity in Christ. What is he asking you to do? Let me close by sharing with you this story. You've probably heard it before. It's a great story. A farmer, he's walking through the woods. He finds a baby eagle that's fallen out of its nest. It's lying there on the ground. He knows it's going to die if, if he just leaves it there. And so, in his mercy, he decides he just can't leave this little fledgling eagle on the ground. He picks it up, he takes it home, and he puts it in with his chickens in the chicken coop. Now, one day, this environmentalist passes by the farm, and he asks why the king of all birds should be confined to live with the chickens. And the farmer replies that since he had given it chicken feed and trained it to be a chicken and it had lived with the chickens, it had never learned to fly. And so now it was basically self-identifying as a chicken. And even though it was free to fly, the the farm barnyard was, was wide open, the eagle stayed grounded. Still, it has the heart of an eagle, replied the environmentalist. It can surely be taught to fly. And so he said, give me the opportunity to teach this eagle to fly. And so the farmer gives his permission. The man takes the eagle. He lifts it up towards the sky and says, You belong to the sky, not the earth. Stretch forth your wings and fly. And the eagle flops to the ground. Confused, the eagle flutters around on the ground and the environmentalist is puzzled. Maybe this was going to be harder than he thought. And so taking the eagle, he decides, I need to get it out of this barnyard. I need to get it out of this confusing place and take it to where it truly belongs. And so he hikes to the top of a nearby mountain. And he holds up the eagle to the sky. And again he says, you are an eagle. You belong to the sky. Stretch forth your wings and fly. And at that moment, the eagle looked around. And then he looked back down towards the barnyard. Then he looks back up towards the sky and he begins to tremble and shake. His wings finally begin to stretch out and with a triumphant cry, he soars away into the heavens. And now it may well be that the eagle still remembers those chickens fondly and perhaps even swoops by from time to time. But as far as anyone knows, the eagle has never returned to living the life of a chicken. My friends, God has created us to soar with Him and in Him and through Him. We are not called to live the life of a chicken. We are called to soar on eagle wings with His power and in His Spirit. It's time for us to stop hiding away and making excuses. It's time to end the confusion of trying to live for the world and Jesus at the same time. It's time to fully embrace our new identity in Christ and to soar 
as God has created us to do. And so today, find your way in a capital K confused world. Find clarity in discovering Jesus' true identity. Find clarity by discovering our true identity in him. And then finally, find clarity in embracing God's plan and power for our lives, for his glory. Amen. Father God, we thank you that you have called us in Christ to not only be on the defensive, to not only hide away and say, Lord, come quickly, but Lord, you have called us to be on the offensive for your kingdom. That in your word and by your power of your spirit at work within us, we can do all things through you who strengthens us. And so, Father, we receive this call for ourselves as a church and as individuals. What you are asking us to do, O Lord, give us obedient hearts and then give us the courage to step out in faith. Not in our own strength, but in your strength. And so may it work powerfully within us for your glory. May you bring about your purpose and perfect will for our lives, for this church, and for this community until you return or call us home. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.